At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. That's so important to her that even interns that go into our group, she doesn't have them making coffee and going for donuts. She's having them trained on the most advanced safety, nuclear safety software there is in the whole country. And they, they come out of the program already having that on the resume. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today. It is another hot day here in North Carolina, and this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Ignite Management Services and Liberty Strength. These sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week, so I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. Also, I want to encourage you to join us on our growing YouTube channel. Search for Deep Leadership on YouTube for videos of all my interviews and exclusive content. Well, that is it. Today, we're going to be talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly side of leadership, and my guest is Roger Gagnon. Roger is a former U.S. Navy surface warfare officer, but more importantly, he is one of my oldest friends. We talked about the things leaders are doing right in the areas where leaders are still falling short. This was a fun discussion with one of my favorite people in the world, and I know you'll enjoy this conversation as well. So are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Roger Gagnon. Roger is a former U.S. Navy surface warfare officer who currently serves as the nuclear safety engineer for the U.S. Navy's strategic system program. More importantly, he is my longtime friend. Roger was my roommate in college, my shipmate in the Navy, and the best man at my wedding. Roger has served in dozens of leadership roles throughout his military and business career. I'm excited to have him on the show to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of leadership. So, Roger, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Thank you for having me. Um, This is my very first podcast, by the way, so go easy on me. (laughs) Well, we'll go easy. You're a rookie in the podcast game, but you're not a rookie in leadership, but that's why I wanted to get you on and talk about it. So, as I mentioned in the introduction, you were an officer in the Navy like myself, uh, but you were a surface warfare officer. Tell us a little bit about what you did and kind of what are the roles you served in when you were in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I started out as a communications officer. So that was a lot of fun uh, learning uh, all all about that 
program. And um, my favorite experience was uh, we had a, they call a beard iron message. So you have to get it answered within five minutes. And I had to scramble and wake up the captain. He wasn't happy at all, but uh, we got it done in like with two seconds to spare. So that was, uh, that was an exciting example. Um, also did anti-submarine warfare. That was fun, firing torpedoes. We got to do some ex experimental ones, which was exceptionally cool, you know, to know that you're one of the first ones tr trying out something the R&D guys have been working on for years. Um, uh, probably the most biggest impact one I had was the navigator. Um, that was a high stress job because back when I did it in the early 90s, we, we were just shooting lines off of our compasses on a paper chart that had lots of erase marks on it. And uh, sometimes the scale of the, it, we couldn't zoom in and out, they were paper charts. So sometimes the scale was a little sketchy and uh, there were some pretty scary times, but uh, I'm happy to say, including doing a helicopter control side job, you know, carting special forces and Coast Guard and whatnot, uh, all, we never, I never had any accidents and nobody was killed. And I don't think that was luck. I think it's because there was a lot of training on the three years I was on that ship. It was a Perry class guided missile frigate stationed out of Long Beach, California, which is now no longer there, but a massive uh, marina and entertainment complex has taken its place. <laughs> so rest in peace, Long Beach, and rest in peace, frigates. Frigates don't even exist anymore. <laughs> so rest in peace. So yeah. So um, it, it was interesting. You know, you um, you serve a communications officer. You served as a navigator. That's a big job uh, on a ship. You're responsible for making sure that the uh, ship stays in liquid and not in uh, interacting with any solids, uh, which is very important. Um, what, what would you say some leadership lessons you took away from your time in the Navy? Well, uh, I happened to be on a ship that wasn't fully staffed because it was a Naval Reserve Force ship. So we did a lot of like reservist training on the weekends. But when we went out and deployed, they didn't staff us up to a full size either. So my challenge was, uh, like you just said, not running us aground. So how would I get extra navigation people on when I was already on such a lean crew? I would take signalmen and other guys that never were even trained on being navigator, you know, and I would bring them in and I'd have the best guys in the division train them. And usually those other guys and even yeomen sometimes. So I got them all away from the typewriters. And they got to do some real much more fun things for them than they normally would have done. So they didn't complain that they had extra duty. They actually liked getting out of their normal daytime jobs on the ship. So I liked working the most with being, you know, that cross-training thing I'll never forget. That was a good experience from the Navy. And I, and I did take it with me after I became a civilian. Yeah, one of the things that people don't realize, and I, I know when I talk to when I'm on podcasts and I talk to people about leadership in the in the Navy was you you just dealt with, you know, situations with the people that you deployed with like you, you know, you know, uh, like on a submarine, we locked the hatch for 100 days and, you know, you weren't going to fire somebody. You weren't going to hire somebody. You, you had to deal. You had to make do with what you had for a crew. And it sounds like you were understaffed for the roles that you had, but you made do by giving 
other people in other divisions some collateral duties and to support the navigation process of the ship. And I think business leaders, we can all learn from that, right? So we think that we need more people, but do, or, or could we cross train some of the existing resources and put them in place to be able to, uh, you know, to be able to help when, when needed. I know, you know, my business, I run a small manufacturing business. A lot of times we get really busy. We all, everyone in the office puts on their boots and we go out on the shop floor and we make stuff because we need, it needs to happen. So we make do with what we have. And I think that's a great lesson. Yes, absolutely. And you, you, obviously you, you've done it a lot yourself in your career. And uh, that's probably the biggest takeaway as far as what I took with me, you know, and the other part would be um, the good examples of leadership I saw on the ship. Um, I, I had some bad ones too, which we don't need to talk about today, but the good ones, I did remember some of the things they did and I tried to absorb those into my my own style once I got out. Yeah. You know, I remember, I don't, I don't know if, you, you know, we were in ROTC together uh, back at Worcester Polytech and we took our uh, ROTC at the, at the Holy Cross. Uh, and um, I remember, and I don't know if you remember, but we went through some leadership training. I remember them talking about that idea of learn from every leader you serve with, whether good or bad and the good ideas you want to keep and you want to use in the future and the bad ideas you want to make sure you never repeat. And, and I, I remember that somewhere in our training. And I, and I don't know if you, if that's something that stuck with you as well. Oh, definitely. And um, the bad one, for example, uh, when I, when I transitioned into the civilian world and I started seeing some of these business leaders repeat those absolutely do not ever do in your life kind of mistakes. And I saw them do that. It really got to me because, and then I would always find out where they um, former military into a person, not any of those bad business leaders I've dealt with in my career that were making those mistakes. None of them were uh, veterans. Mm, that tells you a lot about the training of civilian business leaders that are not veterans. Yeah, yeah. Well, or the lack of training. I think that there's a big gap missing between um, we teach. One of the things I've noticed just in terms of being in the leadership space for a little while is that we do teach business leaders, the technical skills of, of business leadership, like accounting and legal and sales and operations and engineering. And, but we, we miss out, I think on the people side of it, which is, you know, how to deal with people, how to motivate people, how to get them excited to come to work every day and, and accomplish the goals. We seem to miss out on those soft skills, I would say, and we focus on the hard skills. And, and that I think is the reason why so many civilian or business leaders have some have challenges leading people because they haven't been trained in the basics of leadership. Yeah, that's a good example. And the, and the one I mentioned that was uh, making all those mistakes all the time. He was an exceptionally smart. Uh, he wasn't an engineer. I don't want to give too much information about him, but he, <laughs> he was exceptionally smart in what he went to college for, for sure. Yeah. And then after that, it just dropped. And um, he, he had rose to the we were calling the highest level of incompetence kind of a thing. And he, once he got to that VP level, it was, it was rough working, uh, reporting to him. <laughs> yeah. I, the highest level of incompetence, right? <laughs> I love that. Now, now you've had a long career. You've been uh, leading people in business. Uh, you know, you've, most of your career has been new product development, continuous improvements, uh, technology transfers. You've worked for a variety of companies, everything from medical devices to consumer products. 
Uh, we mentioned a little bit about some of the leadership differences, but what are some of the big leadership differences you saw between the military leaders and, and business leaders? Right. So the main one is even for the good civilian business leaders I've had the pleasure of reporting to, they didn't always grasp their the true reason for their existence, which is basically to be providing the tools for your people under you to succeed. Mm. was still exceptionally, you know, bright and they didn't um, piss off any of their employees, but they also didn't always think, hey, this person wants training next year, but, you know, our budget's tight. Well, he'll just have to wait for a few more years or she could or he, he could change the budget and get that person the training that I consider that training is a big carrot you can give an employee. And a lot of employees, I remember some survey I read, a lot of them are not leaving because of the money. They're leaving because they're not happy by how they're being managed. So not providing your employees the tools they need to succeed, you might as well just cut their paycheck in half because they are gonna leave at some point. So I always tried to keep the most opportunities I could besides the obvious salary um, as incentives to keep these employees motivated. And that was what I focused on because I didn't want to deal with turnover. And I had pretty low turnover for the ones that I was actually in management for. So I think that wasn't luck either. That was because I was thinking about them and what I can do to keep them working in our company. I think that's powerful because I think we we sort of forget about that. Uh, you know, I always say that uh, leadership is about motivating your group of people to get something done. So that means you have to have a goal. You have to have, you know, you have to have people and you have to be more focused on motivating them. And a lot of cases, one way to motivate them is to remove the obstacles in their path and give them the tools they need to succeed, right? So giving instead of, so a lot of times I see business leaders make the mistake that they think they're the most important person. So everyone needs to give them, give them information and give them support. But the truth of the matter is, is that the, the leader's not making product. They're not designing product. They're not talking to customers, right? They're, they're actually the one that, that our role should be to take care of the people who are take care, taking care of the business. And I think you just nailed it, which is give them the tools they need to succeed, give them the training they need, and make sure that they have everything they need so that they're not slowing down, so they can run at a full pace towards the objectives of the company. And I think we miss out on that sometimes. We think that, well... I'm the boss. Everyone's here to serve me, you know, and that when you do that, you're, you're, you're destined for failure. Yeah. And my current, uh, I'm going to say, I'm not going to say my current boss, my current leader that's above me. She uh, is so, that's so important to her that even interns that go into our group, she doesn't have them making coffee and going for donuts. She's, having them trained on the most advanced safety, nuclear safety software there is in the whole country. And they they come out of the program already having that on a resume. Uh, this is software that you can't even get off the streets. You know, it's, it's special access software, obviously, and they have to have a clearance to even use it. So they, um, that's what's remarkable about my current company that why I hope to at least finish out my corporate career there because I like the uh, management there. 
and, and they got it, you know, and not shocking you to you if you if I tell you she's a former torpedo torpedo men's mate, then she's you know that's not shocking that she already had that she got it you know she came into the company already knowing how to properly manage her employees so um, that's an example of of a good you know leader was she a submariner no she was more involved in uh, weapons facilities. Oh right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because because I mean, women are are on submarines now, and they're they could be torpedo men too. So we're torpedo mates. I guess they don't call them torpedo men anymore. You told me they no longer use that. They call everything is now gunners mates, even if it's gunners mates. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, well, why would they get rid of that? But she said they consolidated it, so yeah. now it's all GM. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. that, that's I. I'm from the old Navy. You and I are from the old Navy, not the new Navy. Right. <laughs> it's funny, like the um, was the 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 T-shirt company, whatever old Navy. I'm like, yeah, I, I was part of the old Navy. <laughs> I wasn't part of the new Navy. So, uh, and I love that. Um, yep. So let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, you know, uh, you know, I've been friends a long time. You lost your wife tragically in January of 2020. And um, and for those who don't uh, know you, you you've you've been raising two special needs teenagers on your own for the past three years. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about what are some of the challenges that you had to overcome? You lo- you lose your wife. Uh, you have the you have these two children who need a lot of care and uh, and you've had to provide that by yourself over these years. What's it been like and how you, how have you overcome those challenges? Right. Yeah. So. Um, the military training, I think if I didn't, if I never had that, I, I would have been in a real, uh, I don't think I would have been able to pull it off, to be honest with you. I think because, you know, the training I got, like when you're in an emergency, uh, you know, stay calm, prioritize things, you know, manage your time. The first thing I did was, uh, and I'm not going to go into where I where I used to live and all that, but I was in another state, and I said, uh, "Well, this state I cannot afford to, you know, live, even afford our place anymore because I lost my wife." So the first goal I set, and that was a few days after it happened in January 2020, was to was to find a way to get out of here by the fall, you know, move to another state that's more affordable, and more importantly, has a great job market for uh, engineering and then uh just rent there and so i set a goal of the fall of 2020 and i sold the house in two days because i happened to hit a uh a great real estate timing opportunity i sold it in two days and and i've been running here ever since um where i live now and and then realizing i so i spoke to somebody you know, I have some great friends like you. I uh, forget who gave me the advice, but they're like, you know, Roger, you're not Superman, so you better get help mm. for your kids because you still have to have a day job. So I focused on that. And once I moved here, um, I had to nav- learn the new system, you know, because every state handles um, special needs uh, children differently. 
half the reason why I moved to where I am now is that it has a fantastic school system. So that absolutely checked that box off. The other one had, had a great uh, government and I'm, in a, I'm working for a defense contractor now, like you mentioned, and it, it's exceptionally high in that area. Um, I also It also has great biotech, which I did a lot of. So I always have that as a fallback, but the job and the kids' schools. And uh, so it was the right environment to move to and also to have uh, the operational discipline just to manage my time. So I, I also realized, okay, once I get help, you know, caregivers, once I get that system going, um, then I got to help channel out some of this anger I have against the hospital, which is not trivial um, because and can't get into the, what happened, but it's a lot of anger still, you know, against that hospital. And because it's taking so long to resolve the lawsuit, so what do I do with that anger? Well, it's not good to keep it internal. So I started playing tennis again to the point where uh, some woman invited me to start a USTA adult league on Sundays. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I already play a lot of tennis. She's like, no, you can actually, you know, get ranked and all that. She's like, play more tennis. So I'm like, I started doing that. And um, oh, that's great. That's a good example of how I you know, got rid of a lot of that aggression by just beating the hell out of that tennis ball and keeping it in the court. So that's what I'm, I do on the side. That's it. But I had to do so taking care of me and also the kids and, and have, you know, having structure, keeping the structure that they had with their mom, you know, because she had a part time job at her 90 percent or 90 percent of her time was focused on them. Mm. I, you know, she she dropped her career essentially to once we both once we knew both of our children uh, had autism, she she just tossed her career. She had a big career too she just tossed it one of us had to and she decided to, to uh, do that but i learned a lot from what she did all right so i also learned her things that she did and I, and, I, and they're not thrown away i've absorbed them and i use them today with the kids we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors Leadership skills are like any other skills. You need to practice them to get better at them. Best-selling leadership author John S. Rennie knows this. That's why he's written a new book called You Have the Watch. It's a guided journal for leaders designed to take you through an entire year of leadership training. By the end of the year, you will master 50 of the most important leadership skills. If you want to have a greater impact on the results and people in your organization, go to youhavethewatch.com and pick up your copy today. This episode is brought to you by Ignite Management Services. Ignite is led by Mike Watson, who you might remember from episode 137. Mike and his team believe that everything starts with leadership, whether it's strategy execution or cultural transformation. It's the role of the leader to create the conditions for their people to succeed. The team at Ignite can help you develop critical habits to enhance your leadership capability and transform your business. Ignite Management is now offering the Resilient Leadership Assessment Tool. This is an online questionnaire designed to assess and guide leadership development, coaching, and team building. It provides leaders an opportunity to gain insights into their leadership strengths and development needs. After taking this assessment, you will receive a custom detailed report that provides practical and actionable recommendations to enhance your effectiveness. I have taken this assessment myself and found it to be extremely valuable in helping me make changes to my leadership approach. 
Right now, Ignite is offering 15% off the price of this tool to the deep leadership audience. Go to ignitemanagement.ca and enter the code START15 at checkout to get started today. This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger at Liberty Strength. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they are lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. Your energy skyrockets, your sleep improves, your confidence increases, and more. But how can you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best people for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put Liberty Strength in your corner. Jeremy and his team will work with you to take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. I've worked with Liberty Strength for the past two years, and I'm in the best shape of my life, and I'm still hitting strength personal records at 56 years old. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at libertystrengthtx.com to find out more and get your initial consultation schedule with him today. Tell, tell us about your uh, son and daughter. I, I, I love them. I love hearing stories about them. Tell us a little bit about them and their personalities. Yeah, so there's Jack. Jack just turned 19 and Chloe's 16. And, uh, you know, they're both nonverbal. So people think, oh, it must be boring to go, you know, over there because nothing's being said except for everybody else. But uh, they have communication devices, you know. They use, since they've been five, they, they don't, none of us have learned sign language yet, which I might still do, but they have uh, great uh, iPads that are kind of like hieroglyphics. It's got symbols and words. And once they learn the words, they can stitch together sentences very quickly just by touching a few buttons. So that's how they express at least the very basics of what they need. You know, they're not at the point where they're having conversations like we are, but um, the goal is that uh, when they, when they get to that point where they want to communicate that much, we can always still all get instructed in sign language because these devices aren't going to be fast enough because they're in multiple pages, you know, it, it just will be too clumsy. Yeah. Sign language is something somebody brought up to me. It's like, you should start looking into that. So um, I'm at to the point now where I have a good communication with them, but it, it can get better. So, but they're a lot of fun. You know, they, they, um, they love to do outdoor stuff, you know? So we recently went to uh, Pennsylvania on vacation and they went and, swam in the lake. Uh, the guy that was our host took Jack on his four by four <laughs> on his bass fishing boat. We all went for a big, you know, it was a huge lake. So we went on a lake cruise and uh, hiking. It was, you know, a big getaway outdoors trip. And they, they both had a great time. So they're just That's... a lot of fun, you know, just because they don't speak doesn't mean that they're not, they're not fun. They, they, um, all of them, all of my caregivers really enjoy them. So that's also keeping, you know, keep allowing me to retain good caregivers because they actually like working with my kids. So. And your daughter loves swimming. She, she oh, keeps yeah. get her out of the, out of the hot tub. huh? <laughs> yeah. So people are saying, well, you know, how does he have a, can afford a hot tub? I'll tell you how I did it. Uh, <laughs> my daughter, it, uh, this this was an originally a fifteen thousand dollar hot tub. 
I used to work in that industry, filtration of hot tubs, and I knew the model. And, and the lady was selling it for like five thousand. So I went to her, and I'm like, I could only afford a few hundred. So I said, I told her about my daughter. You know, I showed her a picture of it. She was divorcing her husband. Apparently, he was a rich jerk, and she didn't care other than getting it out of her place that she got. And and I I, I offered a few hundred, and and my daughter's picture won her over. She just was an empathetic woman, and she said, "Okay, I'll give it to you for three hundred." <laughs> so he's been in it like almost every day, you know. So that's their their water therapy. They, but you know, that's there are some people out there with empathy, you know. And yeah, yeah. Found that out during the last few years. <clears throat> now I I understand you have to move. You're uh, you're rent currently renting, and um, that lease will be up next summer. And you're looking to buy a house. So part of Part of the financial challenges is keeping up with the care uh, of your of your uh, children, and then also making this transition to something finally permanent. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. The landlord's terrific, but to be fair to her, we have a fixed three year lease. The real estate market here has gone sky high. She could probably make close to double what I'm paying now. I don't want to pinch her. You know, she's been so good. So I, I'm just gonna go somewhere else at the end of the lease and. I'm either trying to find owner financed houses, which are really hard to get, or I can at least use my VA loan. So that's the plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's uh, that's great. So we're one of the things uh, you know as we're talking through this. Uh, we uh, I've been working to help Roger. We started a GoFundMe account for Roger. We've got that up and running. We're going to link in the show notes here to uh, help him in that transition. So he's uh, he's had to do it all on his own for the past three years. It's been a struggle, but he's been uh, he's made a lot of progress. He's got himself moved into a state that's uh, much more uh, affordable and also supportive of, of his children. And now the next step is to get him permanently into a house. Uh, so we're going to have a link in the, uh, in the show notes for this GoFundMe account, but we would highly encourage you to, uh, to click on it. I highly encourage you to click on it and to see if you can donate and help uh, Roger get to his, uh, his permanent home with the children. Cause that's the last step in this uh, long journey he's been on for the past three years. So, so we're going to have that uh, link in the show notes. So uh, I want to switch gears again. So you have a uh, side business. Uh, you you have a business called RHG Design. So what do you do in that business, Roger? Yeah, so I've been doing that for uh, since 2005, I think. And um, so when I was married, you know, to make extra money where we lived, uh, my wife would like... Sometimes I didn't do it every weekend, but she would watch the kids when I was doing this consulting on the weekends. And what it is, it's um, anybody that's ever had an invention idea in America knows that if you don't know how to do it yourself and you hire an attorney, if you get away with paying less than 15000 for that one invention, you're lucky. I I saw this first myself when I helped do some drawings for uh for an inventor that had already hired an attorney, but he didn't want to pay their full price. So I did the drawings for that patent and he accidentally left a copy of the bill that they still charged him not doing the drawings, which are the most difficult part of a patent are the figure drawings. They didn't even do that for him. And, he, and I saw the bill is $15,000 <laughs> writing around the drawings that I, that I mm -hmm. saw. 
So I'm like, I got to be able to get people a better price and still make a good profit myself. I don't have a administrative assistant or paralegals. I can just learn how to write the patent too. And then, and then um, the patent office has similar to the IRS. There are all the forms you just download yourself and fill out. So that's what I was doing. I was writing everything for the inventor. Then I would direct them to the uh, website. They would file. I basically ghost wrote their specifications, but it was still their property, their idea. They would meet with me until I captured everything. And I've lost track of how many uh, clients I've had over those years, but they're all over their place. They vary from police officers to uh, luthiers, which are guitar makers. Um, there was an autistic one for color-coded shoelaces for helping. I remember some of them, uh, some of them didn't have any money at all. So I would write it as long as I was a co-owner of the patent. So I did some of that. Um, you know, I have so many examples, but it's always been a nice for me because it's, you know, it's creative and it's fun and I can do it on the side. And when I joined my, my current company, I, I wasn't going to hide it from them. I'm like, I'm going to do this stuff on the weekends. I'm not bringing work home. I and, and I said, I'm going to still do this. And they said, uh, do you do any military patents? I'm like, no, these are just American civilians. They're like, no problem. Mm -hmm. I still do it now. So if you have, so the, the people that would seek you out are people that have an idea for an invention. They want to patent it. They don't even know where to start. And you're going to, you're going to say, look, I've been doing this for years. Uh, I'll guide you through the process. I'll make sure that we get the drawings done correctly. We'll get the description of the invention correctly. So we'll write it in a way that can be submitted to, to the patent office, right? Is that pretty much what you do? Yeah. I get them all, all the way to the point where they file it and they pay the filing fee. They fill out the forms. They have the specifications. I give them a complete specification package. So they just have to do all the forms, file it. And then um, I think I have about 95% success rate. So there's been a few. Oh, wow. But the reason I got the patents for them is usually the patent office will try to tie in an argument and they'll they'll do a ridiculous argument like, for example, say you're doing a patent for uh, a new type of uh, power tool. The patent office will reject your um, your claims saying that um, there's a cat toy that uses the same exact technology as your new power yeah. tool. So they're saying, so it's no good. So a lot of people give up when they see that, but actually they're just trying to step on you and see if you go away. All you have to do is counter argue the that actually there's you have you just have to provide correct arguments against them and that's why I have such a good success rate because I I'm not I'm not an attorney so all I do is call them up I have the I have a book written by an attorney I said well I would thumb through the book and say I would use this argument on this page this one looks good I said you're gonna have to write the letter yourself you know but use this argument I think is good some of them just say no I'll just go to an attorney but some of them just do that, and and whatever they did, they always ended up getting it. So either path, um, I am going to get once 
you know, I get the settlement. I am going to do it full time. I'm going to transition into it full time. and I'm going to get my patent agent license. At that point, I can do everything an attorney can do. That's fantastic. I so can represent them. I can write letters. That's the plan um, when this eventually gets settled. Yeah, that's fantastic. So listen up, leaders. You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, and you're thinking, yourself, I got this great idea for for uh, uh, for some technology or a new way of doing things." You better protect yourself with a patent and you better find someone like Roger or I, I would highly recommend go with Roger uh, and um, he can help you get that process done for a lot less than what it would cost you to go with a uh, high paid uh, patent attorney. And you can some of that you're going to have to do yourself. But again, as you're if you're an entrepreneur, uh, you know that you're going to be doing a lot of stuff by yourself uh, in those early days. So it's a great uh, affordable way for you to take an idea and file it into a patent. So uh, that's one of the reasons I want to get Roger on the show as well, because I know a lot of you are list- who are listening in or have got these great ideas and you want to, but it's hard to navigate the whole patent process. So uh, call Roger. Roger's going to help you through that process. And he's going to, as he mentioned, a 95% success rate. That's pretty good. <laughs> so if you want to know how to get your uh, your intellectual property protected, especially in this day and age of AI and everything else, you better go quickly and get your ideas uh, patented so that you have you are protected. Uh, from the people out there who are scamming. So uh, yeah, that's a great, that's great service. So Roger, I'm glad you shared that information. Um, so let's, uh, let's wrap this up. How can listeners find out more about, uh, about you and these services? And again, I mentioned uh, the GoFundMe, we're going to put that link in the show notes. So we're going to help Roger get to this next uh, stage in life, which is getting out of the rental property, getting into a home, uh, permanent location for him and his family, uh, and so we're, we're going to put that out there. I'll put a link here down below. Please click on that. Please give. I think it's a really important thing to support uh, Roger. He's uh, he served his country. Uh, he's taking care of these uh, two, uh, two teenagers. Not easy. He's done a fantastic job with them. And I highly encourage you to click on that link and donate. So how can people find out about the your services uh, from, from a patent perspective? So um, if you don't mind, John, I'm just going to give you my uh, business uh, email address. Okay. I'd rather do a rapport with somebody um, first and find out if I can help them. Um, I always do a non-disclosure agreement, so it doesn't matter how big or small the idea is. We get that out of the way, then they know that I will never disclose their idea. Um, we do that first, and then we do a phone call, and and then we take it from there. Normally, they will need a patent search done, so I charge a very small fee for that, and then if I unfortunately find their idea on on the web on my patent data search i'll give them the bad news but then they're only out you know hundred dollars not talking to an attorney and you know two thousand dollars later he advises them not to file the patent so anybody can do a patent search on the government database but it is uh similar to many government software systems uh not easy to use but I've, I've done it for over 15 years, so I'm comfortable doing it for people. And uh, that's the first step. And then if it's not, even if there's overlap, that doesn't matter. As long as it's not a clone of your idea, then I, I always advise clients to go for it. That sounds great. Still get it. Yeah. 
That sounds great. So I like that approach where you you get a chance to uh, talk to the talk to the client first. So we're going to put Roger's uh, work email for uh, as a contact for you to reach out to him and have that conversation. Like you said, one of the first things I do is a patent search. And believe me, I've done this before in my in my business. I have spent a lot of money with lawyers and only to find out that uh, there was prior art out there. And uh, so don't make that mistake like I did. Spend a hundred bucks. Uh, it's the best money you've ever spent uh, and do it with Roger. And you're going to find out whether or not you can move forward or not. So don't spend $10,000 and realize you can't go any further because that's what I did. People don't do that. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't call Roger, but I didn't. <laughs> so don't make that mistake. Um, so this has been uh, a great conversation. A lot of things we talked about. We talked about leadership. We talked about the challenges that you've faced with your family over the past three years. And then we've talked about, uh, you know, the work that you do to help people patent their ideas. So really appreciate Roger, you coming on the show. This has been a great episode. I appreciate all that you've done. And again, I'm going to put the link down for the GoFundMe for Roger. Uh, I want to encourage each and every one of you to click on it and donate. And that would really uh, go a long way to helping uh, Roger and his family get finally settled. So Roger, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing your unique perspective. And thanks for being a friend all these years. Uh, you're the best. Thank you for being my best buddy. <laughs> Thanks again. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. No more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric acid.